So we've been going through the book of Genesis, and we're calling it epic. Uh, we're just the t- first 12 chapters. But um, as we're going through it, we're calling it epic because we believe that as we look at the first 12 chapters, which kind of surveys big picture things, big picture people, at, at, at chapter 12, it zooms into one family and kind of talks about them. But verses, or chapters 1 through 12, um, before you get to chapter 12, takes it big picture, and you're thinking about all of humanity and how it all starts. And so um, as the video kind of let us know, we're going to, over the course of the summer, likely answer every single question that you'll ever have in life. Um, no, I'm kidding. But we, we know that as we look at the book of Genesis, it answers a lot of the most important, the most impressive, pressing questions that we can think of. Like, why am I here? What, what are we here for? Why is there this thing called marriage? Why do I sin? Like, wh- all these kinds of things that we can think about. Um, what's the purpose of life? We're going to be looking at that over the summer. We're going to be looking at the first 12 chapters of Genesis. And so... <clears throat> This is really kind of the, the third week and final week of creation uh, sermon. So what we did the very first week is we looked at all of creation, all seven days. And we talked about, um, we took, looked at three different things we can know about God, some important things that we can know about God. Week two, uh, you know, creation seven days. More than likely, if you've been anywhere around any kind of Bible story, you know that. Uh, what we did week two last week is zoomed in on day five, day six, I'm sorry, and looked at the creation of man and how it was distinct from the rest of creation and talked about us being distinct and what that means as us being men and women made in the image of God, etc. And then this week, we're zooming in and we're looking at day seven. So really, these whole three, three weeks, we're talking about creation. But today, we're going to zoom in and talk about day seven, creation. Um, as Jack and I, he's the, um, eld- the elder here at Remedy, along with me, as we were looking at this particular set of verses, you're looking at chapter 2, and it's just verses 1, 2, and 3, three verses. And so you may be saying, is there really like a full sermon in three verses? And as we talked about it, and um, Jack had some ideas on looking at Hebrews, and we talked about Exodus 20 and, and all these different things, we saw that there is a lot inside of just these three verses that we can really f- talk about um, we can talk about Sabbath and rest in, in an entire sermon. So what we're going to do today is talk about Sabbath, talk about rest, and what that should look like in the life of believers. That's, that's really the goal of what we're doing today is talking about Sabbath and rest in chapters 2, verses 1 through 3. So <clears throat> I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump in, and hopefully the sermon's going to be epic. So let's pray. I'm sorry. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you that as we look at your word... <clears throat> that we realize that we can see and know Christ. We can understand the gospel, the good news of what he's done for us. And it's not just intellectual um, knowledge, not just an intellectual rehearsal we go through to get more understanding and then we're kind of sent out as academics. But instead, what we learn transforms us. It changes the very essence of who we are, that we're no longer old creations, but new creations in Christ. And because of this, um, we live radically different not because we feel like we have some kind of nagging obedience that we have to have, um, that we have to follow or else we're in trouble, but instead, the gospel has changed us so much that we want to, we get to live for Christ. We get to worship him with our entire lives. And we want to do that with every part of our lives, including Sabbath rest. And so I pray for us this morning that we would all be open and receptive to what you want us to hear. I pray for myself, Lord. I confess that Um, I can't preach ever any text in your word without your spirit. I am completely and utterly dependent upon you. So would you come now and use me and move me out of the way, if you will, and and preach this word, not just to me, but to all of us here. 
We love you, Lord, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. So before we get started, I need to um, kind of set the tone and openly confess that likely I am maybe the first and foremost that needs to repent about not doing this very well. Um, I have planted this church five years ago, many of you know, and planting a church is, is a lot of work, and it takes a lot of time, and as I was planting, there were innumerable times that my wife said to me, you're working too much, you, got, you can't work on weekends too, like, you can't work seven days in a row, you got to slow it down, you got to trust more, and I just knew that there was a thing I had to try to get going, and so I just pushed and pushed and pushed, and so um, here we are, and by God's grace, it's a little bit better, but before we get started, I need to let you all know, I'm not standing here saying, everybody needs to learn about Sabbath and rest because I've got it down. That's that's not at all the case at all. I'm actually, should be there with you and someone else should be preaching it. Uh, So I'm I'm learning this material with you. I'm kind of just like the tour guide, but learning with you. I'm I'm pointing out the stuff and I'm saying, hey, y'all hear this? Because I need to hear this too, just like you. So let's start off by saying, um, I do not have this all together. I'm learning just like you. And I'm trying to, the best I can, be a kind of Christian that needs to practice Sabbath, pra- practice rest, etc. Um, most of the time when we hear Sabbath and rest, most of us think that God is just really concerned for us, that we're tired, and that we just need to take a nap. Like, God wants you to cut things out of your schedule. It, it kind of brass tacks the, the, the end application of these kinds of sermons are, so cut out stuff in your life and take more naps. And then God's really happy with you. And like that's, that might be, you know, a, a first level application. We'll even kind of talk about that. But that's not the final, the final thing. At the essence of it all, when we talk about Sabbath, when we talk about rest, the essence of it all is this. The, the whole point of Sabbath and rest is to drive deep into your heart and ask this question. Do you really trust God? Or are you just going to trust yourself in what you're doing? That's the essence deep down. So there's, there's kind of two levels, if you will. The first level is that God does care about our well-being. He wants us to rest and live restful lives and set aside a day where we, work, where we don't work, and etc. But, you know, kind of the, the core, ultimate part, the, 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 if you drive down to all the deeper meaning of this, the big question that's looming over this entire sermon is, do you really, really trust God or are you trusting in yourself? So we're going to be looking at Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Before we get there, I've got, I've got some things I want to point out. And as I point those things out, it'll be a mixture of the theological and the practical. Um, kind of, sometimes it'll be one or the other. Sometimes it'll be kind of both. But before we do that, I want to go into this particular idea of <coughs> Sabbath and rest with a little bit of an introduction on personality types and how we might hear this. So there's really, I've just got two, and I I just call it kind of the two uh, dangers of misunderstanding what God wants or the two ditches that we can drive the car into or the two extremes, whatever words you like. So uh, the first is when we we talk about Sabbath and rest, there's the overworker. This is the guy that really, or girl, that never takes Sabbath, that overworks, you know, works the 80-hour work week, and is happy I did. I work 80 hours a week. I'm a stud. Those kind of people, they depend mostly on himself or herself to do everything. And at the end of it, they really kind of lack a deep trust in God. And they don't like the idea, as Romans 8.20 says, therefore we are debtors. I'm a debtor? Okay, well then what do I need to do to work that off? And so whenever that personality type of overworker um, doing too much, whenever that personality type 
um, intersects with the gospel and they try to live out the, their life, they'll usually lean over into, depending on who they are and how much the Lord walks with them in sanctification, they may trust the gospel completely, but they'll always have a bend over that personality type back over into legalism, which means they'll likely, in their mind, it's unspoken, they would never say it out loud, but they have an unspoken kind of law-based relationship with God in that they're constantly trying to pay God back for the continual grace that he continually lavishes upon them. God's just giving them grace, giving them grace, giving them grace, and they like that, and they, they think that's good, but because they're the overworker, the legalist, they still, in this mind, it's unspoken, they never say it out loud, I still feel like I need to pay back God for what he's doing for me. That's, that's the first kind of extreme personality type when you talk about stuff like this. The other side, and I couldn't think of a word that wasn't maybe so um, pejorative, so I just came up with lazy. Um, you've got your overworker, and then you've got your lazy. Um, and the lazy is the one that, that's in a continual Sabbath. Like their whole life is just one big Sabbath. Uh, they very rarely work. They can't hold jobs. They like for people to take care of them. They usually have excuses of why. It's just too gif- difficult to hold a job. They're fired from one job to the other. And they can't see that the common denominator and job to job to job and firing, firing, and firing is not all these different people, but them, right? You're the common denominator and all those people being fired, or you being fired over and over. Um, and in this personality type, they... They, they can't hold jobs very well. They don't understand or perhaps have never been taught the great value of it, what it means to be a productive person. God wants us to be a pr- productive people. Before the fall, he put Adam in the garden to work it and keep it, to worship and obey. Those two Hebrew words can, can be kind of interchanged. So God likes productivity. He wants us to be productive people. But this person is just on a continual Sabbath. He eats or she eats up the idea of grace that other people give them. Like grace, yes, give me more i love it i love grace i need that like give me oh, so much that they actually overuse the grace that is extended to them they likely have strained re- relationships especially with the people that are the constant providers for them like after they've provided and provided and provided and they're lazy and they're lazy and they take the strained relationships like i'm just i got no more to give you can't can't you do something for yourself and they need one of those kind of spiritual Thessalonian kick in the pants from Thessalonians 3, 2 that says, if anyone's not willing to work, let him not eat. Like, you just need to hear that verse and receive that brother or sister because you're lazy. Like, that's kind of the two ditches that people can drive into. So when that personality type runs into the gospel, they can trust the gospel, they can walk with Christ, but they'll, they'll not bend towards legalism, feeling like they need to pay back God, but their bend that they'll struggle with, that personality type that they'll, fall back into sometimes is licentiousness. Legalism, licentiousness. And I just picked L because it's alliteration. And, you know, I'm a Baptist, we got to alliterate. But that just means they antinomian or they sin. They just, they, 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 they'll fall back into sin. And so like the legalist has this unspoken thing that they would never say. I really feel like I'm in kind of in a law-based relationship with God. The licentious has this unspoken attitude. They would never say it out loud ever that, well, I'm going to be forgiven by God. So whenever that happens, um, seeking true holiness always feels like a losing endeavor. Mostly, I should say, not always. Seeking true holiness because of their laziness. God's going to forgive me anyway. I love grace. Just, Just more grace. Grace, grace, grace. And so they don't see the idea of hard work. Now, both of those extremes have one hope, one remedy. And if, if you don't know the answer to this, I have failed. I, I am a failure. So what's that one hope? This is where you talk. The gospel, right. The, the gospel of Jesus. For the, 
for the legalist, it's the gospel that they need to trust in God more. They need to trust in the gospel, what God's done for them. They need to not trust in themselves or herself and what they're trying to accomplish. They need to, in their own practical life, they need to work less and they need to enjoy the good gifts of creation. They need to go out and look at flowers or oceans and eat a steak and drink a glass of wine and hang out with friends and look at the sunset and slow down and stop thinking that they rule, they reign, and they run the world. They, they gotta slow down. They have to enjoy those things. They need to, in a spiritual sense, dive deeper into the unending grace of God and let that soak and marinate in their hearts and realize there's no such thing as paying back God. There's no such thing. So they need the, the gospel. And the other remedy for the lazy is also the gospel. They need to be, and, and it's very different. Um, one just needs to soak in and receive and understand grace. The other needs to soak in and receive and understand the justice that was due us. So the, the lazy Um, needs to be ravished with the reminder that the full frontal of all of God's righteous anger and fury should have been given to them. But instead, God in his rich mercy didn't put it on them, but put it on his own son. And they need to be reminded over and over of verses that call them to be holy because God is holy. And both of those things aren't like magically happen overnight right oh i got that okay i've got that by tomorrow morning 8 a.m where are we meeting like that doesn't happen right it it takes a long time to move ourselves away from licentiousness move ourselves away it's like god's gonna forgive me anyway he's a god of grace or from legalism i'm gonna buckle down and do it all in my own power i don't need him to remind me that i have grace but instead like we they both need it takes a while for those personality types to move into the center our only hope which is the gospel so as we're going into this idea of Sabbath and rest, half of you are probably one and half of you the other. Or maybe more of you are one way or the other. I don't know. But I want those things to kind of be a, an introductory matter to push us to say, when God's calling us to Sabbath rest, know your personality, know which way you are. But remember, your only ultimate hope is the gospel. It's not yourself. It's not the ultimate grace that you'll get all the time as a licentious sinner. I can just do whatever I want. He still calls you to holiness and it's not your works that you can do everything. He still calls you to trust in him. So he wants us to remember it's the gospel is the only answer. Now, um, we're gonna go into this particular text here and uh, I wanna read it first and then we'll, we'll see some things in there, some different notes on Sabbath rest. So let's, let's read chapter two, verses one through three. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So the first thing I want you to see is this. Um, And I said, these these six different things we're gonna talk about are gonna range from theological to even practical. But the first one is that this particular Um, set of verses chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 set in the context of chapter 1 all the way up here because remember the bible wasn't written like moses didn't write chapter 2 verse 1 thus like he just wrote and then later on chapter divisions and verses were added so this particular set the verses that we just read set in the context of chapter 1 all out together is doing something it's the it's telling us that the sabbath the entire idea of sabbath is preaching to us to the whole world and ultimately us individually that um, the world is safe in God's hands. The world is safe in God's hands. 
Notice um, even the, the way the guy, uh, Moses wrote, even the way Moses wrote, he's wanting us to see that the world is safe in God's hands. Genesis 1.1, he writes, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. There they are. They're in God's hands. He created them. There they are. And what does he do in 2.1? Brings it to ultimate fulfillment, ultimate fruition, ultimate, ultimate finalization. God created the heavens and the earth. And then 2.1, thus the heavens and the earth, there it are, were finished. So all of the world can be completely trusted in God's hands. And ultimately, that means you, individual. That's exactly what Jordan was talking about when he's driving from nowhere, South Carolina, and he's running out of gas. And maybe it was his fault he was running out of gas, but ultimately, he's still, I'm just kidding, Jordan. So ultimately, God is still completely in control, and the whole world is still safe. The whole world is safe in his hands. We need to be able to have this deep-rooted trust in who God is, all of creation in this text is trying to help us see that he's sovereign and totally trustworthy. When I said about Sabbath rest, it's not just that God wants you to take a nap, right? The, the deep root of all of this is that we can trust God because we know that he is completely in control. He is completely in control. He finished everything that he was supposed to do. He declares to us that he's sovereign. He's in control. He created all things. And he made everything good. And he finished everything that he desired to do. Nothing in all of creation in this moment is left wanting. John Calvin points this out. That as he created everything, nothing is left wanting when it finally comes to completion. Listen to what Calvin says. Um, God therefore did not cease from the work of creation of the world until he had completed it in every part so that nothing should be wanting to its suitable abundance, which includes us. I, I don't know if you heard that, but that verse sounds a lot like, or what, not verse, that quote sounds a lot like Philippians 1.6 to me. He who began a good work in you will bring it to the completion of the day in Christ Jesus. So in the same way, as we're looking at creation and God created the heavens and the earth and he brought it to final completion, in the same way that he does that for creation and we are the pinnacle of creation, he's promised for those who are in Christ, he will absolutely bring us to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. He's promising it and he's also saying that the whole Sabbath is preaching the gospel to us or preaching us that we can, rem we can trust God completely, not just with ourselves, but with our spiritual lives, like our ultimate final salvation. It's all going to be his that he will do. This includes us, and in Christ, we have heaven in our, in our future. Adam and Eve were never wanting in the garden. They were supplied with a perfect relationship with God, and so will we be. So, the first thing that we can see here is that the Sabbath is preaching to us that the world, and ultimately that means us individually in our salvation, is safe in God's hands because God has promised that it's so. And no one is more trustworthy than God. The next one is this. So as we look at Genesis 2, 1 through 3, and we looked at all that, I'm, I'm going to throw out a seminary word. I'm going to pre-apologize for it, but I just, it's, it's easier to do it that way sometimes. Um, there's an eschatological overtone. That just means end times eschatology end times. So there's an end times overtone right there in the very beginning that's going on, which is this, that the creation account closes with God's work being finished, and now God and his people, Adam and Eve, will enjoy Sabbath rest in his land. This is 
This is the eschatological overtone of what's going to be happening. Similarly, as we saw at Easter in John 19, verse 30, as Jesus is... Um, Last, one of the la- his last words on the cross, he says, it is finished. So here in creation, as God has finished all that's been, that needs to be done in creation, and now that he's finished it all, um, God and the people that he's created can have perfect rest together, enjoy perfect Sabbath, Sabbath rest in his land. Similarly, in the same way, Christ Jesus has declared on the cross, it is finished. And one day God and his people, all Christians, will also, those who are saved, who are justified, who put their faith and trust in Jesus, they also will once again, just like Adam and Eve before the fall, we will one day finally in heaven receive final rest in his land, which is heaven. So there's an eschatological overtone right there in the beginning pointing us to the end. God has perfect relationship with Adam and Eve in his land. We as believers will also have that because of Jesus. God said, it is finished with what I've done in creation. Christ said, it is finished. Everything that I've done on the cross has achieved salvation. So there's also this amazing, like right there in the beginning, a picture of the greater picture of what it's going to be in the end. That's, that's astounding. That's astounding. We're not, we're just, you know, we're 30 verses in. We're 31 verses in. He's already showing us the end times. I think that's amazing. So we can rest knowing that ultimately it is finished and that everything has been done for us by Christ. Now, we're going to dive into some more practical matters when we talk about Sabbath and rest here at number three. Look at verse two. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. He worked for six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. Now, really practically, let's just say it this way. Here's the third note we need to know. We are to rest because God rested on the seventh day. It's just straightforward as it can be. God rested on the seventh day. Therefore, we should rest. Now, we can talk um, and, and ask the kind of big questions like, was God tired? I mean, does, does God get tired? No, God doesn't get tired. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. There's no like, God's like, man, I'm getting kind of tired Jesus, Holy Spirit, when do y'all want to take this? I got a little, hey, sit down, like get some water, some Gatorade. None of that happens. He never gets tired, right? God never gets tired. We can ask the kind of question is then, well, if that's the case, when God rested, what kind of rest was it? I mean, it says he rested. What, what does that mean? I understand that there's questions like that we can ask, but more than anything, um, John Salehammer points us in, I think, the right direction, the way to think about this, um, which is, <clears throat> which I've said, this was not written in chapter verse divisions. So the right way to understand this is last week um, we talked about man. We talked about man made, being made in the image of God. That we have what's known as the imago Dei, the image of God, the likeness of God. Nothing else in creation has the imago Dei. Only we have the imago Dei. And so as we're supposed to understand that, that means since we're made in his likeness, therefore we should, as, as men and women, strive with everything we can to be like him. We should do everything he does. And so this rest that God's taking in, on day seven is an illustration or an example. It's not God's tired. He's setting an example for us. So in these short verses, three times it tells us, three times the author's trying to go to a, a painstaking work to tell us that God doesn't work but rests. Look at it. It says that on the seventh day, God finished his work. And on the seventh day, he finished from all his work. 
and verse 3, and God rested from all his work. So like, he's wanting you to know. It seems kind of redundant to say it in three times. I got it, Moses. Let me guess. He stopped working, right? Like, yes, why do you say that? Like, because you said it three times, Moses. Um, so anyway, like he says it three times. He's wanting us to see he doesn't work, but we rest. So the way that we can understand this in light of, light of what we just read is, like I said, in chapter one, the Imago Day. I'm going to read Sailhammer because he's, he's just more brilliant than I, not, not even close, like far more brilliant than I can. I can say it. So here's how he says. If the purpose of pointing to the likeness between human beings and their creator was to call on the reader to be like God, that's why he told us that we're made in the image of God. Since you're made in the image of God, you should be like God. Then it is significant that the accounts of the seventh day stresses the very thing the writer elsewhere so ardently calls on the reader to do, which is rest on the seventh day. If we're to be like God, God rested on the seventh day. And since we're supposed to be like him, we're supposed to rest. So every seven days, we should find ourselves because God did set the pattern for us, we should also be like him by resting. His image bearers should strive every six days to be like their creator and rest. Now we can talk about what that means. I mean, because of uh, Jesus being raised on Sunday, it's no longer Saturday for us, but it's Sunday. So we have set aside in the Christian church Sunday to be the day that we come and worship and Sabbath and rest and rest and remember what he's done, gather together as a church family, be together, worship together, go out to lunch together, enjoy creation together, not work, but rest. Rest in each other. Um, we'll talk about a little bit later on what if my job makes me work on Sundays? The deepest part of, of, this, of this thing is trusting God. So it's about your heart. I'm very glad cops work on Sundays or else, you know, all of our houses would be broken too on Sundays because nobody would get caught, right? I'm very hot, happy that hospitals are open in case, you know, we've had five, but we have a baby on, uh, on, on a Sunday or something, right? Or, or somebody breaks their arm. So I'm not saying that you can't ever work on Sundays if your job requires it. Um, we'll talk about that in a second. But we are to rest. We are to set aside one day per week where we don't work, and maybe it's two for you. I know the American work weeks, we, we work Monday through Friday and don't work on Saturday, Sunday. But we have to at least do one. Very practically, we'll look at the other thing. Um, it says in verse 3, So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. So God sets apart this particular day as very special. So we talked about this uh, week one. I can't remember. But we have creation happening in kind of six days. You have day one, two, three, Day four, five, six kind of happen in two subsets. Day one, God creates something and ultimately fulfills its use in day four with what he creates. Day two, he creates something and ultimately fulfills its use with what he creates in day five, you know, day three to day six. And then uniquely, he has this next day that doesn't look like those other days. It's just set here and completely different. And if you notice, even the, the, the language of the Bible, as Moses is writing, he's wanting us to see that this particular day, day seven, this is day seven, that's day one through six. <laughs> uh, those particular days are different by the words that he uses, right? The words that he uses. And here's the, first, here's the fourth one. The first six days are called good, even very good, day six. But God calls the seventh day holy. The seventh day is to be holy. The seventh day is to be holy. God sets it apart from all the other six days as 
his special day. Not a special day, his special day. The author makes sure that we see this by even changing the style in which he gives the account. Good, 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 good. Is that five? Very good. Holy. That's just different language that he uses. And he even does, <coughs> he even introduces each day. And the other days is, and God said. So God's speaking things. Speak, speak. God says. He's creating things and he's working. But on this day, he doesn't speak or he, and he doesn't necessarily even work. He just blesses. He doesn't speak things into existence. He just blesses it and he calls it holy. So it's, it's uniquely different than the rest. That means, as we look at that, that this is his special day and he and his infinite wisdom has set apart the seventh day to be different, to be holy. This is a little bit different than that third one. We're, we're supposed to rest one day a week like God did. God wants us to rest, but more so than that, we are to set apart this particular day as all other days to be different and holy, different and special for God. It's literally supposed to be just like we're set apart now. We're being sanctified. That's what sanctified means, literally sanctified. Um, We, just like we are, God has set apart that day as a sanctified, set apart day. Therefore, as it's sanctified and Christians are sanctified, we're also to set this side day aside as well. Maybe this is the way I can say it. And um, I mean, use the word very a lot. So here it is. It's written here. Very, 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 very few things should vie for our time on this day. We should be really, really super cautious about the things that we allow to take our time on this particular day. I, I think it should be Sunday, but for, it could, I understand there's, there's sometimes it can't be Sunday for some people. <clears throat> Let me say it this way. Giving time to any other thing than God on the Sabbath seems to, and I'm I'm trying not to be legalistic here, for all the legalistic, like, antennas flying up, thought you sound like one, don't, because I'm saying seems to and not is. Giving time to any other thing other than God on this particular day seems to rebel against that which this day was created for. It's supposed to be holy, set aside, now, you're going to get to talk about this in community groups. You know, what if I'm a police officer and I work on Sundays? Or what if I'm a, um, a nurse and I have to work on Sundays? We'll, get, we'll hash those things out. Community group leaders have fun with that. Um, but let me make a plea before we, we get too mad at what I said. Don't rebel against that statement I just made because it sounds too legalistic. But instead, the plain meaning of the text seems to say that. Like, the fifth commandment. We've heard of the Ten Commandments, right? The fifth commandment, is one of these is one of these that says remember the sabbath and keep it holy here's here's the language god uses in the fifth commandment talking about the sabbath exodus 20 verse 8 through 11 remember the sabbath day to keep it holy six days you shall labor and do all your work that's pretty straightforward and then he says but the seventh day is a sabbath to the lord your god on it you shall not do any work you, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, your sojourner. I mean, come on, the animals. Even the animals can't work. Your sojourner that's with you in your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and sea and all that's in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, I know Jesus fulfills all the law for us. We're going we're to talk about that in a second. So we can't get too legalistic. Um, 
It can be a conscience issue if you need to go wash your car today, all right? Whatever. But I think at the root of it all is, like I've said, what am I trusting in? Am I trusting in God or am I trusting in myself? What does he want? Personally for me, and this is an example, like um, I, I don't like cutting my grass. I hate cutting my grass. It just drives me crazy now. The yard's too big. I finally taught JC to do it. She did the whole thing yesterday while I, I typed. Okay, judge me if you want. But I didn't have to cut the grass. So here's my deal. So, <laughs> so I, don't, I don't like doing it. But there's days, because of my dislike for it, my grass gets high. You know, I get the HOA letter. You need to cut your grass before we kick you out of the earth or whatever. And so like, you know, my grass was like, where's Michal? Is she in here? Um, so anyway, it's high, right? So <clears throat> I need to, on some days, get it done. And some days I'm working on weekends, etc. And Sunday comes, I'm like, oh, I really need to cut it and it's Sunday. So what can I do? Because Monday, I got to go back to work and it's Sunday. I've just made the decision. And I, I, I'm not saying that this is a, a, uh, a right decision. It's just, this is a conscience for me. Everybody kind of around me, I don't know that they're necessarily strong believers or churched or whatever, but they kind of have, you know, a, a, a somewhat tertiary understanding of, of church, etc. And they think that you're not supposed to work on Sunday. So I don't cut my grass on Sunday, even if it's like here, you know, and I can't find Liam. I don't, I don't cut the grass on Sunday. Um, because, not because I think it's necessarily wrong to cut the grass on Sunday or to have a job, because I, ultimately it's about our heart, right? But because of what I think that they might think, I won't cut the grass on Sunday because, aren't you the preacher guy? You're not supposed to be working. Never come to your church, and I don't want Jesus. Like, I know, like, they're never going to say that, but maybe they will, right? So I just want to try to think about, they probably won't, but I just want to think about what they might think in the perception, not because I feel like I'm boxed in in some legalistic box, but instead, like, how can I love and serve the people around me? How can I lower myself like Christ to be sensitive to wherever they might be because I don't know? So, at the end, I think it's the heart. So, I, you know, you stay up late Saturday nights or make your daughter do it, whatever. Um, so that, that's what I'm talking about when, when we talk about this day set apart and ultimately it's going to find its fruition. Point number six, I'm, I don't want to give it away. Everything's in Jesus, right? It's all found in Christ, our ultimate rest. But we do know that this was a law given specifically to the Israelites that they had to observe and fulfilled in Christ. So then what does that mean for us? Well, I'm going to get to it on point six. But... We still need to think about this. God wants me to have a heart towards setting day aside and counting it as holy. And I can't just let anything vie for my attention and time on this. I, I dare to go into examples. I have things in my head, but I'm not going to say them out loud. That maybe we shouldn't let take our time away on this day, away from living a, uh, a life of rest and, and enjoyment and loving God's creation on these particular days. So, that's it. If you want your list, you can talk to me later. And depending on whether I trust you, I'll tell you. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's ridiculous. All right, so here's the last one. Or not the last one, the second to last one. Um, we notice in the order of things, um, in the order of things, we have all these things <laughs> created. And then on day f- six, we have man being created. And then on day seven, we have the Sabbath being created. So in the order, we know that man was created, then the Sabbath. So, and we also know that man's the pinnacle. So man was created first, and then the Sabbath. And so you've got this statement that Jesus says in Mark 2, 27. Maybe you've read it, and you're like, what does that mean? He's just switching it, and it's so hard to understand. He says, the man was made, I'm sorry, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So that's my point five. I'm going to explain it out, and we can, we can talk about it. But 
The point five or the fifth note I want you to know is that the Sabbath was made for man, not the reverse. So we have man here already created, already in existence, and then God created the Sabbath and gave it to man. It wasn't the reverse. It's not like God created the Sabbath and needed to give a gift to the Sabbath. Oh, the Sabbath. What can I give you as a gift? I'm going to give you man. It's, it's not that, right? It's the opposite. God created man and gave us the gift of the Sabbath. So what I mean when I say the Sabbath was made for man, you, that word made, parenthetical statement, think of the word gift. Gift. The Sabbath is not some kind of law that God's oppressing you with to make you like, oh, especially if you're the overworker type A. Why are you doing this? I could be productive today. I have to sit here and not do anything. You know, the other guy just loves it. But here we are like, oh, this is such a, an oppressive law God gives me. I can't do anything. The way that we're to think about rest and Sabbath is God gave this to you as a gift. It's a great gift. Enjoy this gift once a week. Don't work. Don't do anything. Go somewhere. Enjoy your friendships. Enjoy your wife or husband. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your roommates. Eat good food. Hang out with people that you love. Um, Worship on that day your God. Man wasn't made, uh, man was made first, then the Sabbath was made to be a good gift to us. There's a guy named Sidney Gradanus. That's a crazy name, I know. Um, But he says this, expounding on the good gifts that God gives us. He says, we can rest from our work. We can gather with God's people. What can we do on this great day of, of Sabbath, this gift? We can rest from our work. We can gather with God's people to worship God and reflect on the meaning and direction of our life. We can take delight in God's creation as well as in the work of our hands. We can enjoy family and friends. God created everything good and that's the gospel message, the joyful tiding of Genesis 1, that God created everything good and he gave us this day to go and enjoy that great creation. And it's okay, like he wants you to. Don't feel like you can't, like you can't enjoy it. I gotta do stuff. Like, it's just... Study after study have been shown that if you work seven days or you work six days, somehow, and I don't know how it works, but besides God said, we're more productive if we work six days than seven. Did you realize this? Like, you, you've heard of Chick-fil-A, right? They make more money than anybody and they're only open on Sunday, uh, six days and seven. And it just drives me crazy. I can't go there on, <laughs> for lunch after church on Sunday. Like, it's the best day, Chick-fil-A. I want the Christian chicken on Sundays, but it's never open, right? It's only open on the six days a week, right? And they make more money, whatever. Study after study. It's just because they charge $4 a sandwich. But anyway, um, my point is, maybe it's not. So my point is that study after study shows that we as people, if we rest one day a week, if we rest one day a week, we're actually more productive. And sociologists that aren't believers are just finding this out. Like, this is amazing. If we rest one day a week, we're more productive. How does that work? And we're like, uh, have you even read the first page of the Bible? Like, yeah, God says that right in the very beginning. So... It was given to us as a gift, not an oppressive law to hold us down and keep us from being productive human beings. I mean, have you ever thought about this? God makes you sleep for a third of your life, right? You have to sleep. Maybe you're like the the guy that only needs two or three hours. We all hate you. But most of us need eight hours, right? We need eight hours. God makes you sleep for a third of your life just to show you that the world can run without you. God's got it. So rest in that. I mean, we can trust him. 
So take this great day, this awesome gift that he gives us. Now here's the last thing, and we are actually going to have to move out of Genesis here. As Jack and I talked, Jack pointed me to this particular text, um, and it's just awesome. So the way we think about uh, Sabbath and rest is we can look at Genesis chapter 2 and we can see those things, but we also have the benefit of the New Testament writers that were able to look back at those accounts in Genesis 2 and they were able to write about Sabbath and rest and they're expounding on Genesis 2 for us and so we even get a greater understanding, a bigger way to think about um, what the Sabbath and rest is because it's not just as like God's concerned about your schedule, man. You got too many things. You're living in the 21st century and we're all transient. We're all over the place. Cut some stuff out your schedule and sleep more like you just look so tired like it's not just that there's an ultimate bigger meaning that God's pointing us to here in the book of Hebrews so you might want to switch over we're going to read a little section here but Hebrews chapter 4 is where we're going to look it's in the New Testament after the Pauline letters Um, Hebrews chapter 4 the writer of Hebrews expounds a little bit on what rest means and so I want to take it as big as we possibly can and say it this way here's the sixth one Jesus is your sabbath that's just the way to say it jesus is your rest your ultimate rest is found in him alone what does that what do i mean by that well look at the at the text and you'll see it look at verse one we're going to get to it at verse nine and ten but stick with me for one through eight because there's gold in there therefore while the promise of entering his rest still stands let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it for good news that's the gospel that's that's the message of jesus coming for us dying for us on our our behalf his death burial and resurrection which should have been ours but if by faith we trust in him we are forgiven forever that's the good news (laughs) we don't have to go to hell we can have perfect relationship restored back to our creator best news ever right For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith. So it's it's ascertained or grabbed or received by faith, um, salvation is, with those who listen. For we who have believed enter that rest. Look at that. We who have believed enter that rest. So now we're talking about Sabbath rest, and he's saying those who believe get to rest. What we know unbelievers rest, like in a, in a very simple sense, they take naps. So we know that rest doesn't just mean sleep. Rest means something kind of way greater and deeper. So here we go. Um, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So God's talking about him having a rest, and some people will not get it. That's explicit in the text. So implicitly, some people will get it. So there are two groups of people that get either rest or no rest, and those are As we look at all of the Bible, those who trust Christ get the rest. Those who don't will not get the rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. That's Genesis 2-2. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again he appoints a certain day. Today, saying, through David, so long afterward, and the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If you want ultimate rest and you're hearing the gospel, don't harden your heart and receive wrath. Instead, receive salvation. And here we go. For if Joshua had given them rest, in the, in the Greek it's he, God, um, would have spoken of another day later on. And here we go. So then, Therefore, I'm sorry, so then there remains a Sabbath rest 
for the people of God. There remains a Sabbath rest. For, now that means he's making an argument, whoever has entered God's rest, this is it, has also rested from his works as God did from his. So in creation, God worked, God worked, God worked, and as he worked on the final day, he rested from his work. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, in a very similar way, there are people that are trying to work, 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 work for their salvation. They think it's about what they do. They think if the scales lean up or they got to do these things, we got to tithe, we got to make more things, we got to do the spiritual stuff or I got to work, 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 work. But what the writer of Hebrews is saying is the moment like God that you rest from work and realize that it's not work that saves you, then you, receive, then you understand that Jesus is who saves you. Jesus is your rest. Jesus, the gospel is pointing us to Jesus being our Sabbath, not work. Like we can't achieve it by work. And so for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So as God rested from his works, we also rest from working or trying to achieve our salvation through works and we rest alone in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, just as God rested on the seventh day. It's, it's, it's an illustration, a, a kind of a broad painted picture for us for what the gospel looks like if we're trying to work for salvation. Um, in Matthew chapter 11, as we're going through Matthew, Jesus gives this great gospel invitation. It's one of my favorite um, gospel invitations that Jesus gives to people. In Matthew chapter 11, he's talking to people who are, he's, he's speaking kind of directly to the people who were called Pharisees, and the Pharisees are just renowned for trying to do good works in front of men and God, thinking that that's what saved. And as he's talking, there were also Jewish people all around them. And as they were listening, he's kind of speaking through the Pharisees, because he knows their hearts are hard, to the rest of the people who believed what the Pharisees sang. Because the Pharisees were saying, it's all about works, and he's looking at all them who and they think it's kind of all about works. And in Matthew 11, he looks at them and he's addressing that idea of working for salvation. And he says, come to me, all who labor, who are laboring or trying to work for salvation. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's not works. Jesus is the one that gives you final rest. Ultimate Sabbath, salvation, forgiveness of sin. Come to me, all who labor, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for, oh, I love this. This is such a great, beautiful description of Jesus. I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is beckoning us all to not walk down some kind of treadmill, never-ending, works-rice achievement basis, thinking that that's what makes us saved, but instead resting and trusting in him alone not just to save us but also to provide for us the very rest we need jesus is our rest jesus is the gospel the good news is that we get jesus we're not just saved by jesus but we get jesus we get a relationship with our creator this is just unbelievable jesus is our rest so I want to go into um, a little point of application here and um, kind of start with some real practical application and build out to 
a more spiritual application. When I say spiritual, I don't mean like Oprah spiritual. I mean like, you know, Jesus-centered spiritual. So um, the first one is this. Um, Real practically, when we hear this, what can I think about or do then in my own family's life to incorporate uh, an ongoing idea of Sabbath and rest? First, I'll speak to wives, then I'll speak to husbands. Um, Wives, this is what I think you can do. This is just real practical. Make your home a home that your husbands want to come home to. Make your home that encourages Sabbath and rest for them. Make it so that when they work all day, they think, I can't wait to go home. Like, that's restful. That's good. My wife makes a a refuge for me. I know God's a refuge, but she creates a refuge for me. She creates a place that while I'm out in the stresses of life and working and being productive, she creates an environment for me to come home. That's the wives. Now, let me talk to the husbands. And I have to admit, this one, I'm only talking to myself. You're, you're free to listen in. It might apply to you, but this is directly to me. Husbands, make your coming home a daily joyous occasion not a dreaded one where the family will enjoy you walking through the door and your walking through the door doesn't create unrest that's my personality she's, she's tried her hardest to create that and as soon as I walk in I see the things and I'm like what about that what about that what about that and all of a sudden everything that she's desired to create she just feels collapse because my personality of not creating um, rest when I come home. So husbands, make your coming home a joyous occasion. Like look for those things and rest in Christ and trust in Him and let what she's striving to do be something that doesn't create unrest in the home. But the family is joyful that you're coming home to be in Sabbath rest with them for the rest of the night. So that's a real practical way to think about it. Um, personally, your day-to-day life, this is what I think you need to think about. Um, And again, this is really practical. We've already talked about some of this. You need to set aside a day a week, likely Sunday. That just makes the most sense. We worship on Sunday. Um, It's the resurrection. It's the day that we've chosen as Christians to to come together and worship. You need to set aside a day a week that is a total day of rest where you can be with your friends, you can be with your family, you can come to church, you can worship, you can realize that this day is not some kind of oppressive day, but instead a great gift from God. It's not an obligation that God makes you keep, but instead a joy that I want to do, that we would set aside, set aside a day. We don't make excuses, we don't have buts, but instead we embrace this gifts and all the good gifts of creation that God's given to us on this day per week. And the other day we get after it. Get after it those other days. Work hard. God wants you to be a productive person. That's good. But one day a week, set it aside. And I think this makes the most sense that it's Sunday. You're probably not doing anything else already on Sundays. (laughs) And use that day to be with your family, be with your church family, worship in the morning, do whatever you want, enjoying God's creation. And all the while in your mind, giving thanks unto God for it. Whether we eat or we drink or do anything, do it all to the glory of God, 1 Corinthians 10.31. So the whole day is a day of worship. 
where I come to worship with my family, but I go and I eat a great lunch with my family or my friends at home or at a restaurant, and I'm worshiping, thanking God, and I'm looking at and I'm enjoying all of the things that he's given me. The whole day is a day of rest and worship. In the fall, maybe you watch football, if your wife thinks that's restful. <laughs> um, lastly, for me, my wife loves football, so yes. Um, anyway, the last one is this. So those first ones are kind of practical, and I think they're easier. This third one, when I say spiritual, and I mean, you know, Jesus-centered, this one is, this is a mindset paradigm shift. This is a, a more difficult transition. I think that this is more, it's not like, like, I can tell you this, and by 8 a.m. tomorrow, you're like, oh, I got it. What are we doing now? What's next? Like, you're not going to have this by 8 a.m. tomorrow. This is a, a movement of your mind, and a rehearsing, and a remembering, and a preaching to yourself continually. So what does it mean when we talk about Sabbath and rest practically for our life? It's going on. Remember, rehearse, preach to yourself every day to yourself and the others that are in your family and your friends that the great gospel rest that we can finally have is ultimately found in Christ. Not in our achievements, not in our works. Worship every day. And as you're worshiping every day, be ever mindful that from the very beginning, we were created to be worshipers. And the only place that we can find our final rest is worshiping God. Augustine, he lived in the 300s. He has some kind of quote, something like, um, our hearts are restless until they find their final rest in thee. Something like that. Um, And it's the truth. You will be completely restless. Your soul, the deep part of your soul will be restless until you find your rest in Christ. Nothing will ever satisfy it other than God. And so this is a mindset shift where believers, you have to continually preach this self. Unbelievers, if you don't know God, quit searching. You can call it off. You don't need to look anymore. Jesus and only, he's not a answer, he's the only answer. Nothing else besides Christ will give you rest for your soul. So spiritually, we need to remember, rehearse, preach to ourselves every day this great gospel that we have rest for our soul in Christ, forgiveness of sin forever. The gospel is the great invitation that invites us to come find our true, because we're all created as worshipers, true worshiping selves in Christ. The great invitation of Matthew 11 is being extended. Come to me, all who are weary, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What what an amazing invitation. So as we go into a time of reflection, we've got time here. We've got a few songs. It's not like a half a chorus and we, we kick you out, right? We've got some time here for you to think and reflect. And if God's speaking to me, maybe I need to, on some easy levels, Think about God saying, all right, your schedule, rest more, trust me, don't be lazy, don't be an overworker. We can talk about some of those kind of first tier things. Maybe he's saying some of those things. But in the deeper levels, maybe God's saying some some more deeper things like rest is about those things, but rest is really about trusting God. Taking that great invitation to come and lay it all at Christ's feet and saying, I'm not going to try to find my salvation in works or anything else anymore. But it's all you, Jesus. And maybe that's what you need to do. So however the Holy Spirit's leading right now, whether it's some of those first things that we need to think about or some of those deeper issues, you've got time here. Think, pray, read your Bible, 
um, stand, sing out to God. However the Spirit's leading, I ask that you be obedient. And if you don't know Christ, if the weight of your salvation is pressing in on your shoulders and you know that you don't have this great gospel rest, you work, 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 and you never have ceased from work and received the gospel, trusted Christ and Him alone for salvation, come find me. I'll be right back here. I'll be right back here. I'd love to have a talk with you. Talk with the person you came with. Let me pray, and then we'll go into a time of response. Let's pray together. Jesus, you're so kind to us. You're so gracious to us and good. We thank you that because we are so prone to not follow your ways, that you have been so explicit in your word that we are to have one day set a week where we would just rest. But there's so much more to it. There's so much more depth to that. It's not just rest once a day. But instead, it's cease from working, thinking that achieves salvation, and find your final rest and peace in heaven forever with Jesus. I pray for my friends here, wherever they are in their life, whatever they are in their walk, in their journey of faith, wherever they are, that you would meet them right where they are, Holy Spirit. Comfort them, guide them, direct them, even convict in your loving, most gentle way that you do. And if they are believers and they need to make some changes that they would, and if they're not a Christian, Lord, that you would lead them unto salvation right now. Be with us now as we worship. We pray these things in Jesus' name.